would just turn in their Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to spend some time there and then also over in Philippians chapter 3. But there was a, a, a man who uh, had a wedding and he was, uh, he was a nervous wreck. He was just a nervous wreck through, throughout uh, the wedding. And just kind of a, a fog of nerves had come over him. He was flustered, but uh, one of our jobs as pastors is we're to uh, we're trying to help calm those things. We're, we're to lead those people uh, through the, these ceremonies. And so this particular wedding had gone off without a hitch. And the preacher had got all the way towards the uh, the end of, of the sermon. And uh, he, he, he made that pronouncement. He said, and now I pronounce you. As husband and wife, and there was a there was a little bit of pause in there after that, and uh, the, the, the the groom was still full of nerves and uh, flustered. All of a sudden, out of that, he he sputters these words. He says, "Isn't it customary to cuss the wife?" The preacher smiled and said, "Not until you've been married a little bit while longer." My job today here is I want to help you to keep you from cussing out your wife a little bit longer later. Grant had a hard message it had to bring last week. Us as pastors, we don't go through and pick out, hey, let's preach the hard ones, all right? Because we want, you know, we want people not like us. He preached on divorce because that was the next scripture in Matthew. And so to be faithful to the text, you preach what's next. And so he did. But he did come into my office and he said, hey, Matt, uh, I would be out. Do you think you could follow something up on marriage? I think you just want something a little more positive. So that's my task today. I'm going to take us to Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm, I'm not going to go at it in the customary way. I'm not going to break it down word by word. I'm not going to even focus as much on the call for the wife to be submissive to her husband, to have a yieldedness to follow her husband, and for a husband to lead in a with a sacrificial special servant leadership. We'll, we'll touch on that. But what I want to do today is I want to just give you four building blocks. Four building blocks that I believe that if you apply them to your life, that you make them a part of your real heart, for your spouse, they can bring great strength to your marriage. I believe if you put these, these truths in, in, in play, they can not only restore, or I should say strengthen marriage, but they can also restore marriages that have gone south. And, and I want to tell you today, and my prayer is that you pray for me, is because this is, this is my heart. As a pastor, myself and Grant and and others, my heart is broken and hurts and depressed at times by what is happening in marriages, not only in our secular world, but in our, our church right here. It's a burden. And so I want to give you some truths that will strengthen your marriage and, and mine, too. The first is this, as we open up to Ephesians 
the first building block that I think to strengthen your marriage is, is the motivation. And oftentimes we may ask, well, what is the primary motive of marriage? Is it, is it just so I won't be lonely? God certainly wants to use your spouse. But I, I've met people who weren't alone, but they still felt lonely within their marriage because priorities were alt. Is, it, is the primary motive for marriage just so we'll be happy? And certainly God wants to use a spouse to, to provide some happiness, but happiness comes with circumstances. Is it just to have sex? Well, certainly God wants you to have sex in marriage. There's no doubt about that. Is that it? Is it just to have children and children are a blessing? But what about when those things go wrong, either due to individual choices or just the circumstances of living a life in a fallen world? What is the primary motive that always has eternal weight, internal value? Now to be the driving motive in our marriages it is this. It's putting Christ and his church on display. The motive of our marriage is to bring glory to God. That's a motive that has eternal purpose. You say, Matt, where do you see this? Well, let's let's just I'm going to just quickly walk you through Ephesians five, starting verse twenty-two. It says, "Wives, be subject to your own husbands, as to the Lord." Look at this. That is, wives, when we willingly submit, because a man can never demand his wife to submit. By the way. It's something a wife yields herself or has an inclination to follow his leadership. He says, when you do that, it says to the Lord. Now, there's some safeguards in that is because there are areas, especially sin, where we have an exception of following our, our husbands or following his leadership. God's not calling us to follow our husbands into sin. But he says, as to the Lord, that is, in essence, when you submit to Him, it's, it's as if, as unto the Lord, it's unto Christ. It's, 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 it's worshiping Him as you do it. It's honoring Him. Verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, He Himself being the Savior of the body. Get this, guys. Husbands, our, our call to lead in the home is not to just be the big shot within the home and call the shots. It's about reflecting Christ's servant leadership, his, his protection, His provision for the church. It's reflecting that. Look at verse 24. Look at back to the text again. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be, ought to, be to their husbands in everything. That is, wives, when you honor and you affirm your husband's divine calling to lead, when you, when you acquiesce or you, you yield yourself to his leadership, even when you don't even think that that might be the best decision, not necessarily a sinful decision, but not the decision you would make, you put Christ on display. You put Christ in his church on display. Do you realize, ladies, that when you do that, you're teaching theology of church? 
Verse 25 says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Get this picture. Get the, get the metaphor that's happening here, guys. That is, husbands, as we love our wives sacrificially, as we lead her in a way that sets her apart, that is, sanctifies, that's what sanctify means, to set apart, as we lead her in a way that sets her apart more and more to Christ-likeness, that we lead the home in such a way that helps her to grow in these things, not hinders her, we reflect the love of Christ. For the church and how he cares for us, how he works to sanctify us. We teach a lesson to the watching world. Look at this also. As we live sacrificially for our wives, look at it. It says he gave himself up for the church. What's he talking about? He's talking about his death, his burial and resurrection for our sins. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Husbands, as we give up a little bit of ourselves, as we die a little bit of ourselves in order that we might help our our wives live a little bit more to God, that we might live in such a way that, that helps her to grow as a godly woman, that helps her function better within the home, as, as we die to some of the preferences and the things that we want, I want to suggest to you that we put the gospel of Jesus Christ on display. Guys, when we dive to our pride and we willingly say such things as, I'm sorry or I'm forgiving, we put the message of the gospel, or please forgive me, ask that of your wife, we put the message of the gospel on display. Did you ever realize that? Did you ever realize that you can evangelize through your marriage? That's the intention that Paul has here. Look at this. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. That is, husbands, we are to to nourish. We We are to give our wife the food she needs to grow as the woman of God. We are to nourish her just as Christ seeks to nourish his church and feed him. We're to, we're to cherish our wife. That is, we're, to, we're to treat her tenderly, warmly, and, and protect her. Just as Christ seeks to protect and care for and show affection for us who are part of the body of Christ. You say, man, I, I don't know. I think you, you might be going far with this. But look, no, look, look at verse 33. Paul harks back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and he says this. For this reason... Look at this. He's saying all these things, and he says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be found or be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, This mystery is great. All right? He's not so much speaking about the mystery of, of the husband and wife, but he says this. He says, But I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. In essence, a mystery in the Bible often to refer to something that wasn't revealed before. And what Paul is saying right now, he says, what I want to reveal to you guys, you in the body of Ephesus, 
What I want you to know, what he wants us to know, is that the deepest meaning of marriage, the reason you're come together in this oneness, is so that you might reflect Christ in the church. So you might glorify God. I believe this is one of the primary reasons why God so hates divorce. Not not divorcees, but he hates divorce. Because the lesson he wants to teach as a husband and a wife, they model Christ in his church, is he wants them to know that God does not divorce his people. That Christ will never divorce those who are part of the body of Christ. And so divorce so hurts him and he so hates it because, in a sense, it's an attempt to veil the glory of God and the reflection of God's glory in marriages. See, marriage is to put Christ in His church on display. Many of us were probably shocked when we heard on a radio, or I think it was just a broadcast, a Christian broadcast, a man had called in and he had had a friend and he wanted to know counsel about a friend who was uh, leaving his wife and actually going with another woman because his wife had an incurable neurological disease. I don't know if it was Alzheimer's or what it was. And the answer that was given was terrible. That's not what God would have, that you would leave your wife because she gets, gets ill. I contrasted this when I came across a story about a man named Robert McQuilkin. Robert McQuilkin was a, a president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary for 22 years. And his wife had developed, after these 22 years, had developed Alzheimer. The disease progressed to such a point that she simply could not stand having him gone, even for a few hours. It was said that she would, would actually begin to think that he was lost and she would be go to begin to search for him. It says it was clear to McQuilkin that his wife now needed him full time. His decision was difficult. I mean, here's a man who had given his life to the lead in education, who had served as a president for 22 years, but here's what he wrote. He said the decision was made in a way 42 years ago when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health till death do us part. For McQuilkin, he also said the simple decision was the only option for him he says, but there was far more to just keeping a promise and being fair. He, quote, he said, as I watch her brave descent into oblivion, Muriel is the joy of my life. He said, daily I discern new manifestations of the kind of person she is and the wife I always loved. When I contrasted that to the first story, I asked myself, which one puts God's love for the church on display? Robert McQuilkin. I can't tell you, but this evidently this story has been told and it's been written about. It's been taught in sermons. It's, it's I'm telling you now. God is glorified 
in our marriage when we make Him the motive of our marriage. Now we put God on display. Some of you might ask, well, what if my husband or what if my spouse does not cooperate with this plan to put God's glory on display? What if my husband is not a believer or my wife is not a believer? What do I do? I mean, how can God use that to glorify him? He can. Let me just quick reference in 1 Peter 3. He says this to wives. He tells them to be submissive to your husband so that even if they are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. God can be glorified. Remember, he told one of his prophets, Hosea, he said this to his prophet Hosea. Then the Lord God said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the son of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. That is idolatrous worship. God was glorified in Hosea. We can put God on display when we make him the motive and his glory, the motive of our marriage. That's the first building block. The second is this. As you look down into this text, the second is the mindset. What's the mindset to, that we need to have in, in our marriage? And the mindset is this, developing the selfless attitude of Christ. And so where do you see this? Well, first I see it in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And this is actually right before he talks, starts talking about marriage. He says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And what he's speaking of here is he's speaking of mutual submission. He's speaking of, a, of an attitude because sub, to, to subject someone is to literally to place oneself under or to rank oneself under. And he's saying, have this attitude for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this does not negate that there is to be a role of submission, all right, within marriage. That's a function, okay? It doesn't negate that men should be headship or, or lead. But it's saying that we should all have this, this willingness to put ourselves under someone else. And so for the wife, it moves her to say, I'll be willing to yield to your leadership, as to the Lord. For husbands to take on that leadership and to say, I will lead you, I will willingly submit myself to lead you in a sacrificial way as modeled after Christ. But as I looked at this, I asked myself, what is the attitude of Christ? We find that attitude in Philippians chapter 2. If you turn over there with me, the Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5 is what I want you first to see. We need to ask ourselves, what was the predominant attitude of Christ? And by the way, Paul is trying to head off disunity and disharmony within the church at Philippi. And, he, 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 and so he calls believers to this. By the way, is there sometimes some disunity and harmony, disharmony in marriages? Yes. And we need this attitude. He says in verse 5, he says this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, what, what was that attitude? Well, what follows it is he explains how he emptied himself, took on the form of a man, came and he died on the cross for us. That is, he veiled his glory that he had as God for a moment or for a time to come and put on, be incarnated in human flesh. And to give himself for us. 
You say, well, what, what more does this attitude look like? Well, back up to verse 2. Paul says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, speaking of unity, maintain the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And then he says this, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. In other words, don't go away, don't go around just being moved by your own pridefulness, pushing your own way all the time. Don't go around thinking of yourself more highly than, than you ought to think. He's, and that's to say, put off such arrogance. And he says, but with humility of mind, look at the text there. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Did Christ do that? Yeah, he did. He veiled his glory to come and take on human flesh to come here for us. Then he goes on and says, verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. Let me make a little point here. This doesn't mean that you you selflessly serve someone else by ignoring your own self and your own needs. I'm not calling you to that. Christ is not calling you to that. But he says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. That is, don't just make the marriage about you. But think of the other person. Think of it a little more highly than yourself. This reality, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes we have no problem thinking about ourselves. The point is this to, to strengthen your marriage, you must have a mindset that is selflessly thinking of the other person. It's the only way marriage is going to work. The story is told of. Of the Los Angeles pastor E.V. Hill and his wife. This was back in the 1960s. It was in the area of Watts near Los Angeles, and there was rioting going on. And uh, Dr. Hill, he took on a, a strong stance, and he spoke out boldly to the people that were looting and stealing from things, stealing from stores, and was telling them to stop it. And then one night, uh, the phone rang in the home, and Dr. Hill answered and but then hung up without saying a word to his wife. But his wife noticed the strain on his face. He, he noticed how somber he, he looked. And she said, what is that all about? And Dr. Hill said, oh, nothing. But she kept pressing and kept asking, no, what, what was that about? And so they, they began, he finally told her, and he said, well, they threatened to blow up my car with me in it. And so Dr. Hill and his wife, they, they spent that night talking with each other, talking through the night of, of how to deal with this situation to protect themselves from such a bombing. And I don't think they really came to much of a solution. Then the next morning, when Dr. Hill walked into the kitchen, he noticed uncharacteristically that his wife was not already there. It was strange for her not to, not to be there. Then he, then he looked outside, he looked in the carport, and he noticed that the car was not there either. And he actually began to, to get very worried. But not too much long time after that, he saw the, the, the car begin to roll back up into the carport. He said later, from that point forward, he never questioned the love that his wife had for him. And she modeled that in a selfless way as she took that car around because she didn't want it to be her husband that blew up in that car. But she'd rather it be her. 
To me, folks, that is the epitome of a selfless attitude. And folks, most of us are not called to go and test and see if bombs are in our spouse's cars, are we? But there are little tiny bombs that erupt in our marriages all the time because we don't choose to operate in a selfless attitude and think of the other above ourself. Am I right? Come on now. The mindset we need to have is a selfless attitude of Christ. Third, though, I want you to see here, the third building block is, uh, is the manner that we're to love. Turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. The manner that we're to love is, is a, a manner that the, we love according to our spouse's God-given design or need. Look, look at this text with me. Verse 33 says this. Nevertheless, each individual among you is also to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, this is the summation of all that has been previously said in verses 22 through 32. It's a summation for the husband to be a sacrificial serving leader in the home. It's, it's a summation of the wife to... Uh, to have an inclination to yield to her, her husband's leadership as to the Lord. But it's notice this, though, that's very distinct in how it's written here. It's, and I think this is very important for us. He calls the husband to love his own wife, even as himself. All right, we, we know that. You just covered that. Then he says this. You would expect him to call the wife to love her own husband. But instead, he says this. He says, wives are to respect their husbands. Now, does that mean that they're not to love their husbands? I don't think it means that at all. I think what it means is there's different ways in which a man and a woman feel loved for. And it's been something that has been built into us all the way from the beginning. I think we've been created different by design. And I believe God has given us a unique need in which we are to be loved. And the reality is, when we realize this, <clears throat> when we realize that we are not just to love our mate in the same way we want it back, it's actually sanctifying. Because it moves in us to cause us to be selfless and to love them in a different way. So I think, men, we are, we are to love our wives with a bent towards caring. I think you see this clearly when you go back through Ephesians and you look at this. Where it speaks of giving yourself. It speaks of a sacrificial love. Who doesn't feel cared for when you sacrifice for them? And it's not, guys, it's not just in giving up. Uh, it's not just dying for your wife. A lot of guys, yeah, I'll die for my wife. Well, how about die to some other things, all right? How about dying to too much football, okay? How about dying to, you know what, I'm just not going to play in that softball league. I remember a long time ago, a guy told me, man, because I used to play softball, he's like, man, you'll, you'll, I mean, you'll be playing all the time. And, and, I, and I, I started thinking about, it. I can't be playing all the time, one, if I'm going to be married. Because that's just not going to work well. It doesn't. We've got we to die to some of those things. But look all, what else in the text. It says, well, a sacrificial love. Uh, there's a bent towards caring in, in that we, we nourish our, our wives. We love them with, we, we cherish them, those we, 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 we care for them, they're valuable. 
We protect them. 1 Peter 3, 7 adds two other things to this. That is we, we, he calls us to live with our wives in an understanding way. That is, to live according to knowledge. That is, we, we just can't, we, we have to know our wives. We have to know about them. We know, have to know how they respond. We know, have, to, have to know what's effective to them. Or as the book says, we have to know their love language. It's living with our wives according to knowledge, understanding, listening to her, getting to know her. But doesn't that call for selflessness, guys? Because right now, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, like, I don't want to do any of that. But God calls me to that. But then because I want to glorify God and because I love my wife, I want to give her that. He also says in 1 Peter 3, 7, to honor. That is, you, you praise her. You make her feel special. You make what she does valuable to you. That's how we love our wives with a bent towards care, guys. And then women, it says this. And I think is we're to love your husbands with a bent toward respecting. All the way from the Garden of Eden, all the way back, back in those days, men have called and put in a place to function as leaders. All right? That doesn't mean you don't have say in the marriage. It doesn't mean you don't have, a, you have opinions. You need to share those things. But men have been given a primary function. It has nothing to do with equality. It's just how God has designed it. That they are, they are to lead. And we see this reflected in Ephesians 5 for this, from this call for headship or leadership. Men, you know, men feel, feel respected when you recognize that in them. When you tell them, hey, Thank you for protecting me in this way. Or when you give messages of how you respect the way that they're leading. You see this reflected in Peter's call for wives to win their disobedient husbands. In 1 Peter 3, it says this, as I already read, it says you're to have a, there to observe your respectful behavior. That is, they're to see the inner person of the heart. With the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. Let me just tell you something, ladies. I know sometimes you have to work to get things out of your husbands, but nagging doesn't make them feel respected. It doesn't work. I'm not saying you shouldn't talk about things. I'm just saying that's not the way you go about it. You see this again. Reflected in God's original design, where the, the woman is called to uh, be, uh, where, where it was said that the husband, it wasn't good that he was alone. He had to create a helper suitable for him. Men feel respected when they see their wives support them. I tell you what, I would take any day, and I love it when my wife tells me she loves me but there's something that just kind of when she tells me she loves me through ways of respecting me that just kind of makes me just puff up i guess and it doesn't mean that she there's uh, everything i do in my life is to be respected because there's some things i don't do that i don't deserve respect but that's not the issue but when she goes through and she, she points out to me and she says, you know, you did real well on this. She affirms me. That's the way that goes. Yeah, 
I'm just like, yeah, she loves me. Or if she tells me, and then I, maybe I'm doing something, and she says, you know what, Matt, you really can do that. I believe in you. That just elevates me. I'm floating a little bit higher. I feel loved. Because I feel respected. Even when I know I'm not doing something I should, even when I know that she uh, uses an XYZ statement, those in my class know this, even when we're having a conversation and all of a sudden my wife says, you know, Matt, when you do this, that makes me feel, and that like triggers me out of my bad mode of handling conflict, I feel respected because she took enough time to be respectful to me and to give me that clue. And not to come at me and nag me. And we feel respected. And therefore we feel loved. I know one of the first objections that always come out of this always is, well, my husband doesn't deserve to be respected. And I'm not going to do it. That's why this is a command, not an option. This is an imperative command. Because let me tell you something. You don't respect him, guess what that's going to do to him? Unless he's a very godly man filled with the Spirit, you know what's going to move him to do? Not love you. Or not let you feel cared for in the way that you need to feel cared for. And then what does that push you to do? Not respect him. Emerson Eggersrich, who, uh, who wrote the book Love and Respect, which I, I encourage you highly to, to read. He's got great ideas of practical ways of how to do this. He calls that the crazy cycle. You just get in this crazy cycle where, where he won't love in a caring way and she won't res- love him in a respecting way. And it just goes around and around. That's why God says, look, this is not an option. Just trust me and do it. That's why 1 Peter 3, verse 9 says, Do not return evil for in, evil or insult for insult, but instead give a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. That is, glorify God in your marriage. And so even though they give evil or they give insult, why don't you model Christ-likeness in the gospel and give blessing instead? It says in Romans chapter 2, It was the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. You want to lead your spouse to repentance? Show godly kindness to them. Give them a blessing. Give them the loving respect God calls you to. Or give them the loving care, men, that we are called to. And you'll build a stronger marriage. Last, I will end with this. How do we do this? How do I stay motivated by the glory of God? How do I live with an attitude of selflessness? And how do I love my spouse according to these special bents? Well, just back up to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Because God never calls us to anything that he's not going to give us the strength or the ability or the power to carry it out. And so what does he say in Ephesians chapter 5? And even before that, what does he say in Ephesians chapter 5? He says, or verse 17, he says this. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. 
And then he'll go and he gives four participles after that. And one of the participles after that is to be subject to one another. So a result of being filled with the Spirit is being subject to one another. And I think it's no mistake that after this follows this explanation of, of what marriage is to be. And so the most important means of, of, of filling this or strengthening your marriage is relying on the spirit-filled living. And just real short, what is spirit-filled living? It's this. It's when the Holy Spirit, when he does his work of convicting us, we respond to that and we, we, we confess our sins. And then when he's doing his work of, of leading us, we, we, don't, we don't quench what he's doing in us. We begin to walk by the Spirit and follow where He's leading. That is, we live in moment-by-moment dependence upon the Holy Spirit. How do I manifest this? I manifest this primarily through prayer. What does this look like in in, in a marriage? It could be as simple as this. Lord, I love this woman, but I just don't understand her. Lord, You have to enable me to be patient to be kind and to listen and have wisdom to understand what she's saying. It may be for, for the wife. God, I don't know what kind of crazy decision he's making. I, every part of me doesn't want to respect him, but I know you call me to. Lord, would you enable me by the control of your Holy Spirit in my life to show this man respect, even though I don't necessarily respect what he's doing. Let me honor his position. Enable me to do that. See, the key to having a strong marriage is when we put Christ at the center of our marriage. When we put Christ at the center of our motivations. When we put Christ at the center of our mindsets. When we put Christ in the ways that He described at the center of the manner of how we go about our marriage. And when we put Christ at the center, because it's Christ who said He would give us His Holy Spirit When we put them at the center of our means, that's how we have a strong marriage. We put Christ at the center of all those things. Amen? On a way of closing, here's what we're going to do. Because oftentimes, we hear an application to a sermon and we we don't go home and do it. So I'm going to give you practice right now. What we're going to do, and and however you feel comfortable, is we're we're going to pray together for our spouses. We're going to take time. If you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, you don't have to. I'm going to just kind of lead you in a time of prayer. You can just pray in your hearts. And I realize that some of you here are single, all right? But some of you are single, desire to be married someday. And so what you need to be praying in your heart is that you need to be praying that I'll put Christ at the center of my motivations, my mindsets, my, my manner, and my, my means. But I'll put Christ at the center. And some of that you are single, you need to pray that until that day that God gives me someone to marry, that I'll understand in a, in a greater grasp to understand what it means to be married to Christ. You need to pray for that understanding. So what I want us to do is I just want to bow our heads. And I'm going to just lead you through a few things, and I'm going to give you just a little time to pray. And then we're going to, we're going to, we're going to respond in some worship. Dear God, I come and I pray this morning. I come to you, Lord, because it's only with you that we can even begin to live out what you call for us to in marriage. And Lord, I come to pray for these marriages here and I pray for my own. And so, Lord, we first want to start and we want to pray 
that the motivation of our marriage, whatever motivation we have now, Lord, as the primary motivation in our marriage, may we repent of that and may we seek to put Christ in your church on display. So perhaps just in the quietness of your heart, just pray that either by yourself or something along those lines with your spouse. Put a hand around them on their knee or something. Pray for them. If they're not here, pray for them wherever they're at. Now as we continue to pray, just pray for your mindset. Think about those areas in your, in your life and in your marriage where you're just being selfish. And ask God to give you the power to, to put off that selfishness and put on a selfless attitude of Christ. Pray about that. take time to pray about being selfless in the way that you show love towards your spouse. And then pray and ask the Lord to help you to, to love your wives in a more caring way. To put off all those false myths of what a man really is. And we'll know what a man is is he's like Christ. Husbands or wives, pray that you might find ways, even though if what your husband isn't doing seems respectful, that you might, through the power of God, um, be able to respect him in this position. And last of all, I want you to pray right now about not finding your ability in marriage to be dependent upon yourself. But coming to a new way that uh, every day you get up and you call for the Holy Spirit to fill you and to control you. Just pray right now about having a spirit-filled marriage. Oh God, you never called us. You never called us to do this in our own strength. And Lord, I thank you so much that you've given us your truths to build a framework in our mind, but also you've given us the power um, to be able to act on these truths. Oh, Lord, help us to be a people who are daily seeking to be a spirit-filled people so that we might love our spouses well, that we might put on display the selflessness of Christ, and we might magnify the name of Christ to a lost and dying world, through the glory that is shown through the marriages here, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you receive all the glory. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.